0: Welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 1045 AM. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. We're excited because today we kick off a series that we're going to be going through in June and July um, through the book of Galatians. And Galatians is all about faith, freedom, and fruits of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. And so really excited about it, looking to take this about six to eight weeks, just kind of going to see where God leads it. But why I'm so excited about the book of Galatians is because it's one of the most profound letters that Paul writes because he comes out of the chute addressing something that's an issue in the church, and that is a word called law. Somebody say law. Law. And so he kind of attacks this idea of law that's coming in against believers. And so I love this particular um, chapter, chapter 1, because I believe that today somebody's going to be set free from works, amen? Somebody's going to be set free from the bondage of feeling like you've been chained to law, and I want somebody to walk in freedom today. Amen, church. Amen. So that's what we're after today. When I think of laws, all right, there are so many laws in every state. All of our states have so many laws. It would almost be impossible for somebody to memorize every law to know every law to follow every single law. It's darn near impossible. In fact, I did a little research for you guys. And I looked up some laws that are the most stupid laws in some of our states, all right? And I'm just going to read these to you because I know that none of you knew these things, all right? Did you know that in Alabama, it's illegal to drive blindfolded? True story. (laughs) True story. They had to come. It is Alabama, all right? But I was born there. I can say that. Anybody from Alabama? Love you. Kindred spirits up here. They had to come up with a law to say that it's illegal to drive blindfolded. Did you know in Arizona, it's illegal for a donkey to sleep in a bathtub? Because apparently there was a problem. Anybody from Arizona in here? You don't have to raise your hand. I just want to know. In Arkansas, you can't honk your horn near a sandwich shop after 9 p.m. Apparently it scares people, I guess. Jimmy John's is out of business there. In Indiana... It's illegal to ride a horse above 10 miles per hour, all right? In Maryland, sleeveless shirts are banned in public, all right? Which is why you'll never find a redneck there, all right? In Missouri, bear wrestling is banned. Apparently there was an issue there too. In Oklahoma, horse tipping is outlawed. So I guess you can cow tip, but you can't horse tip, okay? In Oregon, it's illegal to go hunting in a cemetery, Again, it's Oregon I'm just and if you're from Oregon once again God loves you all right and then let's talk about Kansas in Kansas Dodge City in Dodge City it's illegal to spit on a sidewalk we would all be arrested I'm just saying and in Derby hitting a vending machine that stole your money is illegal did you know that so if you're in Derby and you hit a vending machine I'm just saying you're they're coming for you all right The fuzz is coming for you. So here's the thing. I want to share these with you because most of us, nobody knew that those were laws, right? Nobody's going and studying all the laws in the States and going, man, I've got to know all the laws and then I've got to try to make sure that I comply with all the laws. It's basically impossible. And that's the same thing that Galatians is all about in chapter one in particular in chapter two is that Paul is talking about this freedom from the law that's found simply in Christ Jesus. That's why I love the book of Galatians. And so let me just give you a little bit of background today. Um, Galatians was one of Paul's first letters, one of his earliest writings. And there was something that was seriously wrong that he saw in the churches in Galatia to get Paul to give such a pointed kind of message letter because usually Paul starts off with some language like you know thanksgiving and then some kind of some encouragement and really some niceties that he throws out there. But in Galatians, he kind of throws out like grace and peace be upon you. What in the world are you doing, right? And so something in the heart of Paul for some reason drove him to kind of write a little differently than you see some of his writings in. And I believe it's because at the very core of Paul's heart, he was a little bit ticked off, all right? He was a little bit ticked off and for good reason. You see, someone, and we're gonna talk about that someone here in a minute, someone was coming in and bringing a false gospel and the people in the churches of Galatia in the region there were buying into a false gospel. The entire purpose of the letter of Galatians is to make a clear distinction between the gospel of Jesus Christ and these false gospels that were coming in. Galatians attacks really two ideas in particular, legalism, somebody say legalism, and lawlessness. Those are the two eyes that, uh, two, two parts that really, uh, ideas that Galatians attacks legalism and lawlessness. And really it kind of paints this picture that salvation by grace through faith alone is the only way. Salvation by grace through faith alone. Alone is the only way. And so Paul, when you study Galatians, it's such a critical book to believers. And the reason is, is that I think that sometimes we're apt to fall into the same issues and the same situations involving our salvation that these believers did. You see, Paul had spent his whole first missionary journey going in these regions in Galatia, setting up these churches that were all built on one foundation, that Jesus Christ has saved you, and because Jesus Christ has saved you, you're counted worthy of the gospel, and because you're counted worthy of the gospel, you have salvation in your life. That's what he built these churches on. This was the foundation that he laid And now all of a sudden, this false gospel's coming in, and they're adding to the gospel that Paul had already built the foundation on. You see, the reason I feel like this book is so critical is because we're apt to fall into the same issues that our salvation is Jesus and blank. Jesus and. Jesus and goodness gets me to heaven. Jesus and perfection gets me to heaven. Jesus and being a good guy. Jesus and working really hard. Jesus and following the law. Jesus and, you see, all of us in our life have an and after Jesus. We think Jesus is really good, but we feel like we've got to do something to earn that. And at the very core of our hearts, we can say, no, 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 I don't believe that. I know it's Jesus. But sometimes our actions speak differently, amen? Amen. You see, church, I feel like this is a message for us today. And so, if you guys have your Bibles, turn to Galatians 1, 1 through 5. And we're just going to open up. And I just kind of want to walk through this introduction. Paul says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. To rescue us, somebody say rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father, according to the will of our God and Father, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul starts off in his typical style of laying out his authority. He wants them to know who he is. He's laying out where he's coming from and what authority he's coming with. And here's what he's saying. Look, nobody sent me. No group sent me. No denomination sent me. No little sect sent me. No man sent me. The reason I'm here is because Jesus Christ has appointed me to share the good news and the hope of Him with you. And He wants to make sure that He gets that. He's not trying to sway the people to be better Methodists. He's not trying to sway the people to be better Baptists. He's not trying to sway the people to be better Pentecostals or better Catholics. He's not trying to sway the people in, except for this. He's trying to share with them that the one who sent Him, His one agenda, is Jesus Christ. You see, His authority is important. Because everybody else is coming in, and they're coming in with their own little agendas. Paul says, look, nobody sent me. The authority that I come with was not by man or by any man. My authority is from Jesus Christ. Then he lays really the foundation of what Galatians is all about. Jesus who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. All glory to him. Paul wants to remind them that when he first came, he laid this foundation that he brought, the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that covers our sins. He's coming in and saying, hey, remember when you first came to God? Remember what it was that that brought you? Remember the foundation that we laid down? Now listen why this is important. When the good news, when the gospel message is preached, powerful things happen, amen? When the gospel message is preached, transformation occurs. That's why he's not just writing to one church like a lot of his letters were, the church of Ephesus or or, or the church of Philippi. He's writing, it says, to the churches of Galatia. Something happened where when Paul and his companions came into this region, people began to receive this good news of Jesus, and churches began to be planted all over the place with this good news of Jesus. And Paul came and he said, Jesus made a way for you. You remember that? that and then he says this little side note according to the will of our god and father listen to me church don't you ever doubt that god has salvation that he wants for your life amen god's will i can say this god's will is that you know him and have relationship with him it's because he is able to save that he wants that it's not because you're awesome amen It's not based on your awesomeness that you're saved. It's because the very DNA and nature of God is that He's a God who saves and He wants to save. So you don't have to be awesome. He's awesome for you. So he goes on and he says this He says, So who gave Himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age? So Paul is saying, Jesus made a way. Do you remember that? Jesus made a way for for you. And some of us, most of us, we've heard somebody share the gospel message, and that's what changed you. Most of us in here that are believers, if not all of us in here that are believers, somebody somewhere shared the gospel message with you. Maybe it was at church or at youth camp or VBS or in the grocery store or in your neighborhood. Somebody shared with you the gospel message at your workplace, wherever it was at, somebody shared that there was hope beyond you, and you said yes to that hope. You see, church, the gospel message was being shared and it changed you. You didn't get saved simply by watching someone do good works. No one came to Jesus because you watched somebody that didn't consume alcohol, right? No, it's, boy, that person, they just never drink, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Jesus, right? No one comes to Jesus because you watched somebody help an older woman across the street. That was the most profound act. I'm going to follow Jesus now, right? That doesn't happen. That may stir your affections and go, man, what what does that guy have or what does that gal have? That may stir your affection, but you come to the Lord because you heard the good news of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit's power in your life transformed you when you said yes, amen? And so what happens at that moment is that from the time that we are born until that moment of transformation. So from the time that we are born, until that moment that we say yes to Jesus, that time in between, the throne of our hearts has always had me sitting on it, amen? That throne that we have in our hearts has always had you sitting on it. Before Jesus, it was me. I was the king of my domain. And what drove me, what consumed me, were the desires and longings of my heart. Now, even though those desires and longings of my heart is what drove me, do you know that most of those desires and longings eventually would bring shame, guilt, and condemnation on me? Because those desires and those longings of my heart always led to the things that would satisfy and would please me. And when you're chasing constant things that satisfy and please you, it will always leave you without lacking. Amen? And it will always lead you to a place of going, why do I feel condemnation, shame, and guilt? Because you are sitting on the throne of your life. And so as I ruled my life, my pursuits were simply what brought me comfort and pleasure. Yet as you always hear people say, something felt like it was still missing, right? You resonate with that if you came to Jesus. You go, man, something feels like it's just missing like I'm pursuing the things that bring me comfort and pleasure but something's missing and 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 so no pursuit that I was after was bringing satisfaction that my heart longed for for the longevity it was just immediate things transient things things that were in things that were out and so all of a sudden man I began to realize there's something where I'm not satisfied then Jesus amen then Jesus steps in. The good news is Jesus steps in. The good news is when Jesus steps in, he's not comfortable not sitting on the throne, amen? The throne was built for him. When he created my heart, he created it with his, I don't know if I can say this, behind in that throne, amen? If I'm, he has a behind, right? So he, that's how he created it. And so when Jesus steps in, now all of a sudden, I didn't have to rule my life anymore, I could step off of the throne. I didn't have to make the decisions of my pleasures, my wants, my desires. Now Jesus, the one who breathed life into me, the one who gave me life, wanted to be the king of my domain. And I could simply rest in him. You see, church, some of us think we don't want to come off our throne, but it's a very beautiful thing when we come off our throne. And what happens in that moment is all of that trying and pursuing, be the best you can, Aaron, all of my attempts to try my best that ultimately made me feel more and more condemned because I could never do it enough and never be enough and never perfected enough. I was always missing the mark in some way, shape, or form. All of those things began to be lifted because of the freedom that Christ brought. He took those things, amen? Amen. And here's the problem. That's how we start off. That's how we start off. If you f- find a new Christian, man, that's how they start off. It's awesome. Somebody who just comes to Christ, this is how they live their life. You're like, what are you going to do with this newfound relationship with Jesus? And you can't shut them up, amen? They're like, I don't know. I'll, I'll do whatever. I'll fly to any country. I'll go anywhere. God, just tell me what to do. Tell me what. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Right? Like something happens in their heart where they're saying, that's all I desire. I just want to please the Lord. I don't want anything else. I don't care about my wants. Jesus is sitting on my throne. And that's how we start off. But then something happens. Over time, we have a tendency to slip from that and try and sit on the throne with God. Notice how I said sit on the throne with God because I would just say, I would just wager out there that I doubt that very many of us are trying to dethrone God all the time. I think most of us understand God is good. Man, I make bad decisions. I need God on the throne. I just think that sometimes we think if I was sitting on the throne with God whispering what's good for my life, it would be much better, amen? Amen. I think some of us think that there's room like, God, I know you're on the throne, I'm supposed to be at your feet, but I'm just going to sit on your lap and I'm just going to kind of tap you when I want things to go my my way. And so I think for many of us, what happens is over time in our Christianity, we, we try to sit on the throne with God, not necessarily trying to dethrone him. And I think so because of that, that's why many of us lay in bed at night, many Christians lay at bed at night, many believers lay at bed at night and we say, God, I just feel like I can't do all these things. God, I feel like I can't do all these things that you expect of me. I'm just failing, 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 failing. I just can't do them. Please forgive me today, God. Forgive me for today. I know that I messed it up. I'm going to try harder tomorrow. I'm going to try harder tomorrow. I'll rule better with you tomorrow, God. And every attempt that we try at that always falls short. Amen? Because that's not the way that we were ever designed to live. Because when we live that way, it always becomes Jesus and. Jesus, you're enough for me and my goodness that I'm going to try harder tomorrow in. Jesus, you're enough for me and my striving and struggling to do better. Which brings us to this next part because this is the epidemic that I believe that we face today in our Christianity It's one of the most difficult topics of Christianity today. No, it's not a social justice issue. No, it's not a political issue. I know we deal with those things, but that's not what it is. The difficult thing that we deal with today in our Christianity is a different gospel than just Jesus alone. A different gospel than just Jesus alone. The false gospel of Jesus and you see, I'll tell you why, because Paul says in verse 6, I'm astonished. Listen to what he says. I'm astonished. I'm flabbergasted. I don't get it. I'm astonished that you are quickly, are so quickly, and that, look, this is happening at a fast rate. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion, trying to pervert the gospel of Christ, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. I wish we had time to talk about that today. And we have already said And we have already said so. Now I say again: If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than one that you accepted, let them be under God's curse. So let me tell you what's happening right here in this moment: This church that Paul man had helped birth, under the influence that Jesus is enough, that Jesus is all you need, that Jesus is sufficient for all of your needs according to His riches and glory. These churches that Paul were birthing, all of a sudden they're dropping like flies because they had that Jesus is enough mentality and and somebody weasels their way in and says, look, Jesus is enough, but you need to add an and to that. You need to add to Jesus, Jesus is enough, and do this. And we call those people the Judaizers. The Judaizers were a group of people that were basically going around in this region of Galatia. They were Christians, they were Jews who converted to Christianity, but did not give up following the law. So we're going to follow Jesus. We believe he's the Messiah, but we're not going to give up the law. So they were going in and they were telling these Gentile believers, these people who were not even Jewish people, they were telling them, you can be Christians if you put your faith in Jesus and if you follow certain Jewish laws. In particular, they wanted them to follow the law of circumcision. Now, in those days, circumcision was not widely practiced. So I want you to give you a picture of what these Gentile believers were hearing. They were hearing, the men, these men were hearing this. If you want faith in Jesus and want to be baptized, then we're going to cut your manhood, right? And these guys are probably going, like, don't sign me up for that, Right? But something in them was stirring in their hearts, going, Well, if these guys say that's what you're supposed to do, then we should do it. If they're saying that Jesus is not enough, that we've got to also add works to it, then we're going to do it. We've got to add law to it, then we're going to do it. And so Paul says, I'm astonished. I'm astonished that you're deserting the one who called you. You're you're deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Like you were were free and now you're locking yourself back up in bondage again. You were walking in freedom and you just put yourself back in jail again. What are you doing? So here's our tendency, church. We hear the gospel, we receive the gospel. We start going, man, this is such a good gospel. I've received it so good. And then we go, wait a second, it can't be that easy. Wait, You're you're saying that faith in Jesus saves me? Hang on a minute. I love Jesus, but let me help you, Jesus, because that just should not be enough. There's gotta be a little bit more ante in this game, right? I gotta ante up a little bit more in this game. And so what we say is, Jesus, I love you, But I know it can't be this easy, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to add some religious activity. (laughs) I'm going to put some religious activity, and that's going to help save me, okay? So you are going to save me because of faith in you, and then my religious activity is going to make me good enough for what you've already saved me from. (laughs) Does that make sense? It doesn't to Paul either, all right? And so this is what's happening in this moment and so in this particular time, the Jewish folks, they had over 613 traditions and laws that they were trying to guard and follow. And so these rabbis, these leaders, what they would do is to help protect the main law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. we talked about this before. And the Ten Commandments, to help protect the main law and the Ten Commandments, they simply built all these other laws around it. So when it says, hey, make sure you keep the Sabbath, what they did was they built laws around that. that said, you can't walk a certain distance on the Sabbath. You can't heal on the Sabbath. You can't do these things on the Sabbath. It was ludicrous, ludicrous to Paul. He's going, what in the world are you trading this free gift of grace for the bondage of the law again? So the Galatian churches, listen to this church, the Galatian churches were abandoning abandoning a position where it was possible to be saved through the grace of Jesus, and they were trying a system where it was impossible to be saved. This is why Paul was so upset, and he wrote this unusual letter from the way he usually writes, because he was going, it's madness. I gave you the way in which you can be saved, and you're trading that for a way that you can never do it. So Paul reminds them of the core of the gospel. The debt was paid by Jesus. He makes restitution. Somebody say restitution. He makes restitution for all of our sins. Restitution is simply this. What we owe God for sinning and breaking the laws. That's what restitution is. What we owe God for sinning and breaking the laws. So breaking the laws had consequences. Like I remember, I remember on, it was an Easter Sunday years back, we were going to the farm, and um, my brother's like, I'm going to beat you. I'm like, no, you're not. I think I had my Ford Festiva at the time. And I threw it in, you know, four high or whatever it was and tried to go around him. And I mean, I was flying, right, going like 25 in the Ford Festiva. And as I go, th- this officer pulled me over, and he said, um, he said son, you realize you were speeding?" I was like, ah, sir, I'm a pastor. <laughs> I do that a lot. And uh, it was Easter Sunday, and I'm thinking, like, he's going to, you know, not mess with me on Easter Sunday, right? And I said, sir, it's Easter Sunday, just got done preaching, you know, just throwing out this sob story. I'm like, got done preaching and going out to the farm to celebrate with our family and just really excited about that, trying to get there fast, and he looks over and see you're not wearing your seatbelt either, right? And he writes me up and he says, man, I have a heart for what you're saying, I get it. Man, I don't want to do this, but you broke the law." You broke the law, so somebody has to pay. There's restitution that has to be paid. So, God's saying, and Paul's telling the Galatians, God has made restitution for us. And so, trying, are trying to be good, are trying to be better, are trying to be saved, and buying into the law is like trying to pay back God somehow for the restitution that He's made for us, and you can never do it. When I'm trying to be good enough, when I'm trying to be better enough, when I'm trying to live in perfection, it's like I'm trying to pay God back the restitution for my sins, and he's saying you'll never make it. It's madness. You wouldn't even come close. And so the work of Christ on the cross is sufficient to forgive our sins. The Judaizers believe that putting people back under the law would sanctify them, make them holy, and that faith alone was not sufficient. This does not set us free, church, and it cannot work. One of the major attacks of the church today, still happening today, is that we buy into this. Charles Swindoll, in a quote from his Grace Awakening book, says, if I had to name the greatest enemies of Christianity, I would list legalism first. David Pawson wrote this. You see, the devil never destroyed the church from the outside. When the church is attacked from the outside, it gets stronger and bigger. It's from the inside he can do it. And one of the best ways he can do it is to corrupt, pervert, or corrode the gospel. So there's a slide that I want to show you. There's two ways that Scripture says that we can be saved. Can you bring that slide up? There's two ways that Scripture says that we can be saved. One, we can be perfect. Don't break any loss. Don't break any loss. So, so if you don't break any laws, man, you didn't need a savior. But we know that Scripture says, "Look, we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God." Says, "If anybody says it without sin, you're a liar. The truth is not in you." And so, we are unable to do that way. It's not in our abilities. Number two, scripture says, if that doesn't work, then we're forgiven through the grace of Jesus Christ. God gives you perfection because of faith in Jesus Christ. We have the ability to do this because the grace that's been given us to receive the grace of God, amen? So this is the way, through accepting and receiving the grace of Christ, we can be made right in God's sight, So, really, then, church, it comes down to how do you view salvation? I'll wrap up here in just a few minutes. How do you view salvation? Uh, I was listening to David Pawson, and he was sharing a message on this, and I love some of the words that he shared. And he begins to break down the way we see salvation. Number one, salvation by works. Somebody say works, it's performance based. Most religions of the world operate salvation by works. You save yourself by your efforts, and then you get right with God. So I'm going to try really hard and be really good, and then I'm going to ask God to come into my life. I'm going to clean myself up, and then I'm going to ask a holy God to come in, and it never works, amen. The do-it-yourself religion of salvation by works appeals to people, though. Because if we can do it yourself, it appeals to us because it leaves us with our pride and that I can say, I achieved this. Let me tell you the problem with this. The problem with this is it's based on self-righteousness. And God hates self-righteousness. He would rather deal with sinners than self-righteous people. How do I know this? Because he had more bad things to say about the Pharisees who lived in self-righteousness, and it says in Scripture that he was a friend of the sinners. You see, church, the self-righteous he had an issue with. Why? Because Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says this, It is by grace that you have been saved through faith, And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Number two, if it's not salvation by works, salvation by works and faith, right? Salvation by works plus faith. So what about salvation plus faith? I love this story that David Posson tells. He says this he was talking about being a chaplain in the Royal Air Force. And he says, he always asked the question in a group of men and and, and women, he would say, how many Methodists in here? Hands would go up. He'd say, how many Baptists we got in here? Hands would go up. How many Catholics? few hands would go up. How many Pentecostals? A few hands would go up. And then he would ask the question, how many Christians we got in here? Not a hand went up. He said, occasionally a young man would put his hand up when he said, how many Christians? And a young man would look around and kind of, gingerly put his hand up, looking around to see if anybody else was going to put their hand up, and he would say, come on, who is a Christian in here, and they would say, what do you mean by Christian, and he says, well, what do you think I mean by Christian, and they'd always say somewhere, someone would always bring up, somebody who keeps the Ten Commandments, he says, okay, I'll accept that, a Christian is someone who keeps the Ten Commandments, how many Christians are in here, no hands went up. Then someone would say, but you can't keep all of the Ten Commandments. So he would ask the question, so how many of the Ten Commandments must you keep to be a Christian? And they would always throw out a number around six or seven. And so he says, okay, I'll accept that. A Christian is someone who keeps six out of the Ten Commandments. How many Christians do we have in here? No hands would go up. And he said it led to a great discussion of what Christianity really is. You see, the problem is works plus faith says this, do as many things as you can do and then have faith for what you can't manage. Keep as many laws as you can keep and then ask God to forgive you what you didn't keep. This is the most common understanding in our Christianity today. Do as the best you can. Do as many laws as you can do. Follow the best that you can follow and then ask God to forgive you for the things you can't. We call this do-gooding. Somebody say do-gooding. I'll just do good. If I just do good, man, God's gonna love me. If I just do good, somehow he's gonna accept me. Listen, if you have faith in him, he already loves you and he already accepts you. Now I wanna make a clarification. This is different than what James is talking about when he says faith without works is dead. James is simply saying that when you have faith, which is sufficient for his grace, when you have faith, you will work it out by what you do. Amen? But he is nowhere in any shape, forms, James is not saying that your faith with works is what's giving you life. He says your faith is what gives you life, and then you'll work it out in what you do because of the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. Amen? Just want to make sure we clarify that for those of you wondering on that. So for the Judaizers, they were running around and they were saying something similar to this, works plus faith, and they were saying, salvation is faith plus works. In other words, you start with faith and then you go to works. You add the law in. You keep the law after you believe, but you still keep the law. And this is why Paul is addressing the Galatians because he's having a hard time and he's trying to sit there and go, look, you were freed by the Spirit of God and now you're gonna run back to the flesh. You're going to be freed by the Spirit of God and you're going to run back to the flesh. Law belongs to flesh because it's all about your effort, and the Spirit is what's doing the work inside of you when you just simply fall into the faith of Jesus Christ. Amen? An example that I read. says, Bill comes to you and says that he is trying to read the Bible and become a better person so that God would forgive his sins. You tell Bill the good news that Jesus died to have sinners, Jesus died to save sinners. We are saved by grace through faith and Bill gets saved. He's really excited about it. Then you tell Bill the bad news. (laughs) The good news is that you are saved by grace, but once you're saved, it's time to get busy working on the kingdom of God, Bill. So you begin to list off the dues. Bill, you've gotta go to church on Sunday you got to tell the pastor so he can baptize you. Then you got to join the church because membership's a must, right? You must be attending all services, Sunday school, worship, discipleship, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Monday night, outreach. If you can sing, Bill, you need to join the choir because if you don't use your gift, you know God will take it from you. You must read and develop discipline through personal devotion or, as we say, quiet times, right? You need to read three chapters of the Old Testament, two from the New Testament, so that you can read the entire Bible in a year, because that makes you a super Christian. you got to pray for 30 minutes every day, because anything less than that, God's not going to hear you, Bill. And now that you are saved, Bill, you must be a soul winner, because this is the Great Commission. You should average at least one saved soul per month. And I almost forgot the most important thing. Your tithing envelope is right outside these doors, and 10% is it, all right? He says, Bill is experiencing a grace overload, but you don't even notice it because you've been attempting to do what you've been telling Bill to do all of your Christian life, and you still haven't achieved it. Even though you've never been able to live up to this own standard, you'd never admit it to this new believer. In fact, you secretly hope Bill will lose his enthusiasm, settle into a mediocrity in his faith in Christ that doesn't make anybody nervous around him. Then we move on to the next part of our business, which is what is acceptable behavior as a Christian. No dancing, no sports on Sunday, no rock or rap music, right? And all of a sudden, Bill's inundated with, I thought it was faith in Jesus. And it became about something else. This is madness, and it'll never pan out. And I know we're going long today, but I want to finish with this. So Paul says this is what it is. Salvation by faith alone through the grace of Jesus Christ. We cannot compromise on this. Romans 10, 9 through 13 says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord uh, the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Church, this is what Paul was contending for, Christian freedom. To introduce the law at any stage now would simply be to put them back in bondage because it was only through 100% perfection then that you could be mate ride right with God. If you're convincing somebody that the law and works is the way to go, then you've gotta be 100% because if you fail at one thing, you'll never measure up. And so Paul's saying you'll never do it You're trading in the grace of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about greasy grace, amen? You're trading in the grace of Jesus Christ and you're going after something you'll never be able to accomplish. And this is true today. And if this is the way that we're choosing to live our life through goodness, through trying, through striving, through trying to be perfect, through comparing ourselves to others, we'll never measure up. you will never cut it. This is why I believed Jesus when he was at the cross and he had the two criminals beside him. And you know this story where one of the criminals on the cross turns to Jesus and says, you're an innocent man. Why are you on this cross? And he put his faith in Jesus in that moment. This is why Jesus turned and he looked at him. This man who would never get off this cross. This man who could never make restitution. This man who would never be able to do better. This man who would never be able to be a good do gooder. This man who would never be able to go back and fix his mistakes. This man on the cross sitting next to Jesus and Jesus is able to turn and look at him and say, today you will be with me in paradise. Because he put his faith in Jesus, faith alone. So what does this mean for us today? It means today that we have to get rid of this Jesus and mentality. Jesus and whatever it is. Jesus and my works, Jesus and being better, Jesus and my perfection, Jesus, whatever. Today, I wanna see somebody set free from that. I want to see somebody set free from your works. I want to see somebody set free from your lack of ability to measure up. I want to see somebody set free from feeling like you don't measure up. I want to see somebody set free from feeling like you are not able to ever please the Lord. I want to see somebody set free because I know that God has qualified you because of who he says he is. There's freedom today for someone. And so what I want to do we're going to close out with this song and I'm going to open up the altar. You can come. I know we're long but you know what when we're talking Jesus it doesn't matter. Amen. Especially if you can walk out of here in freedom today. We're going to open up the altar, close out with this song. But today I'm going to ask if this is you and you struggle and you're striving and perfectionism and trying to hit the mark and that's how you feel like your salvation is. If that's you today, I'm going to pray that you come today. With your Jesus and. And I'm going to pray that you lay down your and. Whatever that and is. And that when you rise up today, you simply leave with Jesus. Amen? Come on, amen? I want a people to walk out of here in freedom today. Not bondage to the do's and don'ts. Freedom in Jesus. Lay down your and. Let Jesus be sufficient for your every need. And I promise you, you'll work it out in your life but it starts with Jesus. Let me pray over you guys today. Father, today as we get ready to close out, I'm praying that you would call hearts, Father, where they're at. I'm praying that you would show us, God, where we strive, where we Try to, try to be perfect, Will we try to work it out, Will we try to add something to you. If I could just be Jesus and a better father, Jesus and a better husband, Jesus and a better, uh, a better uh, homemaker, Jesus and a better teacher, Jesus and a better businessman, Jesus and whatever the and is, God, I pray that you would break the and off today and that we would know it's just Jesus and nothing else. In your name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to RelianceCommunity.org.